Luke chapter 9, and uh, we're going to focus on verses 23 through 26 today, but I'm going to actually read starting in verse uh, 18 through 27, and that'll help us a little bit with the context, and then uh, we will uh, deal with verse 27 next week. But again, we're going to focus on verses 23 through 26 as we think about the the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, as well as the cross that Jesus calls us to take up as his disciples. Uh, before we uh, read God's word together, let's pray and, and ask for his blessing. Let's pray. Uh, Lord Jesus, we ask now that you would speak to us by your word and spirit. And uh, Lord, I pray that every single one of us here this morning would not only understand who Jesus is and what it means to follow him, but that down to the last person today, we would name uh, the Lord Jesus as our Savior and our King. Uh, do that work in our lives, we ask in his name. Amen. Uh, Luke chapter 9 and starting in verse 18. Now it happened that as he was praying alone, the disciples were with him. And he asked them, who do the crowds say that I am? And they answered, John the Baptist, but others say Elijah and others that one of the prophets of old has risen. Then he said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, the Christ of God. And he strictly charged and commanded them to tell this to no one, saying, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And he said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. But I tell you truly, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. Well, what does it mean to be a Christian? Have you thought about that recently? What does it really mean to be a Christian? We know there are a lot of answers out there, don't we? Some people will say that they're Christians because they attend a Christian church. Some people will say they're Christians because they come from a Christian family. 
Uh, some people will say they're Christians because they have some respect for, for God and the Bible, and they seek to, at least a degree, pattern their lives after the teaching of Jesus. Well, I want to say to us today that according to this passage, none of those things actually make someone a Christian. And that according to this passage, a Christian is someone who confesses Christ and follows Christ. A a Christian is someone who confesses that Jesus suffered for my sin. He, He died on the cross to secure my salvation and he rose again for my justification. A Christian is someone who rejoices in the fact that that Jesus denied himself. uh, That Jesus took up his cross. (laughs) And that Jesus followed the will of his Father all all the way to the cross of Calvary to secure for us everlasting salvation. You see, the ground of our hope and the ground of our salvation is tethered to the cross of Jesus Christ. And so we say that uh, to be a Christian is to confess faith in the suffering servant who died to take away our sin and rose again for our salvation. And this is the Christian good news. This is the gospel. But you see the connection to the verses that we have read this morning, now Jesus wants to understand that confessing him leads to discipleship. That embracing the cross of Jesus Christ inevitably leads to embracing the cross of discipleship. Uh, You see, dear friends, you, you, you cannot take hold of the Lord Jesus as Savior and not take hold of him as your master and your Lord. You you cannot take hold of the cross of salvation without without also owning the cross of discipleship. And so to be a Christian, once again, is to trust in Christ and to follow him. It, It means to believe that he suffered, died, and rose again for me so that I am not my own But in body and soul, I belong to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. And today we come to what it means to follow the Lord Jesus. In verse 23, he outlines for us the demands of discipleship. Uh, The requirements of discipleship. We must deny ourselves, take up our cross daily, and follow him. And so, first of all, this morning, I want us to consider the demands of discipleship. And the first thing I I want you to notice is these demands are for everyone who would come after Christ. What does Jesus say? Jesus said to all, if any would come after me. These are terms for anyone who would follow Jesus. These terms, these demands are not just for the apostles, they're not just for super Christians, they're not just for men or for 
women. They're not just for people who are ready to take Christianity to the next level when they become adults. These demands are for everyone who would come after the Lord Jesus. Everyone who would follow him. And so Jesus issues these commands to all who would be his disciples. And he says, first of all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself. And if anyone would be my disciple, if anyone would be a Christian, let him or her, of course, deny themselves. If you want to know where discipleship begins, dear friends, this is it. It begins with the denial of yourself. Now let's make sure we understand what that means. Jesus is not saying that in order to follow him, that you have to, that you have to deny your, your, your individuality. You know, God, God made each and every one of you here. He, he knits you together. He gave you your own unique mind, your own unique personality, your, your own unique desire, your own unique uh, makeup, your own unique emotional life. And I want to make sure you understand that to deny yourself does not mean the eradication of your individuality. Right? Becoming a Christian does not mean you, you join some creepy monolithic cult where you all begin to dress and act and talk the same. Becoming a disciple of Jesus does not mean you become a mindless zombie. Now, of course, as disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ, we... We confess the same gospel. Uh, we follow the same Lord. We obey the same commandments. And that unites us together in faith and in life. But that doesn't mean that following the Lord Jesus destroys who you are. Now, of course, and this is another qualification I want to add, sin affects each of our personalities differently, doesn't it? We are all born in sin. We are all born guilty, defiled, and corrupted by sin. And, and, and you, you may be, by nature, an angry person. You may be a selfish person. You may be a bitter person. You may be a liar, you may be a gossiper, you may be uh, someone that's harsh, you may struggle with greed, you may be melancholic, I, I don't know. But we don't say, well, that's how God made me, do we? No, dear friends, that's how sin has corrupted you. And part of self-denial will involve the eradication of the ways that sin has corrupted our humanity Part of self-denial will involve putting sin to death in order that we may more faithfully follow after the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to say one other thing that self-denial is not. Self-denial is not superficial. And what I mean by that is when Jesus says, if you would come after me, let, you must deny yourself. He's, he's not saying you must give up your love of 
of good food. You must give up your love of sports, your love for the great outdoors, or your love for, you know, fill in the blank. That's not the point here. Actually, the call to self-denial is far, far more demanding than that. And so what is Jesus demanding here? What what is self-denial? Jesus is demanding a total, complete, radical reorientation of our lives around him. Jesus is demanding that we stop living as though we are at the center of the universe and we actually recognize the fact that all things are from Christ and through Christ and for Christ. He's calling us to recognize the fact that we are not king, but he is the king and and our lives are to be given over to him. My friends, he is demanding your entire life. Your mind, your heart, your will, your affections, your desires, everything that you are, he is calling for. He he is demanding that you stop making yourself or your family or your children or your job or your hobbies the priority of your life and you make Christ the one great passion of your life. That is what Jesus is calling for in, in a self-denial. You see, Jesus is he's commanding us to submit our lives to him. To reorient, to restructure our lives around him and his word. And so it's not simply enough to confess that Jesus is the Christ as though Christianity could be reduced to some kind of get out of hell free card. To confess Christ means you you must trust him as savior and then you must submit your entire life unto him as your Lord. You see, my friends, Jesus is destroying the idea that you can have the cross of Christ without the cross of discipleship. He is obliterating the idea that you can have him as savior and not have him as Lord. He's he's just blowing this out of the water that you can have faith without a life of repentance. And so Jesus is saying here, there are no nominal disciples in the school of Christ. You know, students who say, well, I I trust in Christ, but... And I give him part part of one day a week. But then I'm going to live as I please the rest of the week. There are no nominal disciples in the school of Christ who can say, I'm trusting in Jesus, but actually knowing him makes no difference to the way I live my life. It means each day, dear friends, you, you... Live not to make much of yourself, but more and more you live to make much of Christ. It it means that less and less you seek your own glory and more and more you live for the glory of Jesus Christ. It means you give your entire life 
over to him. It means that you, you can deny yourself and say, I am not my own, but I have been bought with a price, and therefore I will glorify God with my body. It means you can say with the Apostle Paul that I have been crucified with Christ. And it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives within me. And the life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Oh, my friends, you see, Jesus Jesus denied himself and died for us in order that we might deny ourselves and live for him. And that is what he is calling for here. And so discipleship involves denying self to live for Christ. And secondly, we see it involves cross-bearing. What does Jesus say? If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily. Now, my friends, you understand that only the cross of Jesus Christ saves That it is only the cross of Jesus Christ that that atones for our sin. Not the works of our hands. Nothing we can do can atone for our sin. Only the blood of Christ is sufficient to do that. And so Jesus is not calling us to some kind of self-salvation when he tells us to take up our cross and follow him. He's not telling us that somehow we now contribute to our salvation by suffering for sin or anything like that. So again, the question comes, so what does it mean to bear the cross? Well, we need to say this first. It means that when you believe in Christ, your life is now connected to his. When when you are united to him, when you become one with him, The pattern of his life becomes the pattern of your life. His life is now your life. And you follow in his footsteps. And so Jesus says the defining symbol of the Christian life is a cross. Now, I think often we just miss the significance of that, the offense of that. Because quite frankly, the cross today has often been reduced to nothing more than a mere religious symbol. Other people take it even further and sometimes treat it like a, a, like a lucky charm, don't they? Now, don't mishear me. I'm not bashing this at all, but we've grown accustomed to seeing uh, crosses with jewelry, t-shirts with crosses. Some people get tattoos, But we've got to understand and ask the question, what what would the disciples have heard when Jesus said to them, take up your cross? You understand that the cross was a sign and a symbol of the deepest humiliation, horrific suffering, and total death. You know, in the Roman Empire, a a, a criminal condemned to death and execution would have to carry his own cross publicly before the world to the place where he would die. You know, it, it it would be akin to having an inmate on death row forced to 
pull his electric chair into the execution chamber. Now think about this. So when Jesus' disciples are hearing Jesus, you've got to put yourself in their shoes. And and more than likely, they they had actually seen condemned criminals carrying a cross to go out and die. Utterly humiliated. And Jesus says to them, if you would come after me, take up your cross. Now again, I think another thing we need to say, it's important to understand that the the general troubles and the general trials that both believers and unbelievers experience in this world is not what Jesus is talking about here. Well, you've heard people say, well, that's just the cross I have to bear. And it's become a saying, hasn't it? But Jesus is not talking, dear friends, about the the general suffering that both believers and unbelievers experience in this fallen and groaning world. But, But rather, Jesus is referring to the suffering and humiliation and the shame and the malignment that his followers will experience as a result of their wholehearted devotion to Jesus Christ. That's what Jesus is talking about here. The cross of discipleship is a cross of trial, a cross of suffering, a cross of shame. And many of you know this cross by experience. Because you're seeking to trust in your Savior You are, without reservation, naming him as the Lord of your life. And because of that, you experience trials at work. Trials in your home, trials with your spouse, trials with your children, trials with friends and family members who think you've you've lost your mind. This is what Jesus is talking about here. Dear ones, I also want to make sure you understand the flip side of what Jesus is saying here. Now, now remember this. These are trials and suffering and shame you would not have experienced unless you trusted in Christ. Your life is now patterned after his life. And do you see what that means? It means that the Christian life does not end in suffering and humiliation and shame, but rather Christ came and was shamed and humiliated and nailed to the tree in order to take us to glory. And you understand, therefore, that while in this life we follow in the footsteps of our Savior and some of our dear brothers and sisters around the world, literally take up their cross in the sense that they lose their lives for the sake of the gospel. And what is this passage saying to us? In this life, while our lives are associated with him, we will indeed know the shame and the malignment of the world, but because we are one with Christ, we also will share in his glory and that the momentary afflictions of, of this world, will, they will pale in comparison to the eternal weight of glory that Christ has prepared for those who love him. And so the clarion call to those who would 
who would come after Jesus is, it is to deny oneself. It is to take up the cross. Notice that word daily. The symbol that defines every day of a disciple is the cross because every day Jesus calls us to lay down our lives for him and for his cause. And so the terms of discipleship are self-denial, cross-bearing, and then third, we must follow Christ. As disciples, we follow the Lord Jesus. You know, as a, as a child, isn't this true? You, you will try to follow those you love and you look up to. You, you want to be like them, right? You, you listen to the way they speak. You try to model their example. And in a very real sense, as disciples, we are like children following the Lord Jesus Christ, the one we love and look up to. We look to his example and we follow after him and we follow his teaching. And so following Jesus, it means that you trust him as the one who possesses the words of eternal life. You remember the words of the disciples, Lord, where else would we go? You alone have the words of eternal life. Following Jesus also means you obey him because you love him. You see, Jesus makes discipleship so, so simple for us. Making it clear it's simply not enough to say that Jesus Christ is the Savior and the Lord. But we must actually say, not only with our lips, but from our hearts, that Jesus is my Savior and he is my Lord. You must actually trust him and you must actually follow him. And because following Jesus, it means you trust him and you follow him because you love him. And because you love him, the great longing of your life is to live for him. What does our Lord Jesus say? If you love me, you will keep my commandments. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. You will do what I say. And yet, if we're honest with ourselves, beloved, isn't it the case that it's just, it's just so easy Sometimes to slip into a, a cold, callous, methodic, passionless discipleship. We can fall into that pattern, can't we? We have fallen into that pattern. Oh, but my friends, we profess, at times we profess Christ and, and there's... There's no heart, there's no love, there's no joy, there's no, there's no zeal. But let's remember today that following Jesus means loving Jesus. And if you divorce loving from following Jesus, then frankly, you are going to be a miserable person. And you are going to be a miserable person to be around. But trusting Jesus means following Jesus and really following Jesus means we love Jesus. And because we love Jesus, the great and increasing desire of our lives is to live for Jesus. We must follow him. And so here we have the demands of discipleship placed upon us. Deny yourself, 
Take up your cross and follow after me, Jesus says. But maybe, maybe as, you're, as you hear those words, you, you're, you're wondering, you're asking the question, why on earth would anyone do that? Why would, why would anyone want to sign up for a life of self-denial and shame? A life of cross-bearing? Well, Jesus gives us reasons. He gives us three reasons in verses 24 through 26. And let me just summarize them briefly. Reason number one for following Christ is simply this. Only Christ can save your life. Look at verse 24. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. You know, this is, uh, this is the great paradox of Christianity. The great irony of the Christian faith, isn't it? That life is found in death. That we find life in Christ... By laying down our lives for his sake. And uh, you see the only way to gain true life. Jesus is saying. Is to lose your life. If, in other words. If you are turned in on yourself. Living for your own desires. Your own interests. Your own well-being. Your own selfish ambitions. You will lose your life. Because real life is not found in any of those things. Real life is found in Jesus Christ. Real life is, is found in a living, real relationship with the risen Lord of glory. And the only way to know true life, everlasting life, abiding life, is to lay down our lives for the sake of knowing Christ. Reason number two for following after him. Christ is the only gain that ultimately matters. Look at verse 25. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world <coughs> and loses or forfeits himself? This week I, I heard about a, 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 a filthy rich man. Someone was telling me about him. He has loads and loads of money. He has more cars than he knows what to do with. He has he has the expensive house. He has everything money could buy. He has more money than he knows what to do with. Humanly speaking, he has everything, every gain someone could want in this world. But just ask yourself the question, what happens to all of that gain, everything he has obtained in this world when he dies, and if he dies without Christ. When he dies without Christ, he not only loses what he has gained in this world, he loses Christ. King Charlemagne, some of you know King Charlemagne from the 8th century. He established the so-called Holy Roman Empire, which, as you've heard, was neither holy or Roman. Um, well, there's a story about King Charlemagne, actually 200 years after his death. Another king named Otho entered into the tomb of King Charlemagne. He wanted to see how King Charlemagne had been buried. And what he found, I, I think, is fascinating. He found King Charlemagne seated on a throne with a crown upon his head. 
and a copy of the Gospels on his lap. And his finger pointed to this very verse. What will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses himself? Before he had died, King Charlemagne had instructed somebody, I don't know who, to do that. Isn't that a powerful picture? 200 years, I don't know what a body looks like after 200 years of decay, but at least I I picture a bony finger pointed to this verse. What will it profit you, dear friends, if you gain the whole world and you forfeit your soul? If you die without Christ, you die losing everything you gained in this world And worst of all, you die without Christ. You see, the gain of this world, it it is worthless if you forfeit your soul. That's what Jesus is saying. That if you have worldly gain and you die without Christ, then you die without worldly gain and you die without Christ. You forfeit everything. And then Jesus gives us a third reason. Only Christ's opinion of you matters. Only Christ's opinion of you ultimately matters. Verse 26. For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. We do this, don't we? We tend to think that the most important thing is other people's assessment of us. We care a lot about the opinions of others. We may not admit it, but we do. We don't want to be uh, looked down upon. We don't want to be ashamed. And so at times, one of the questions that's on the forefront of our minds as we seek to to live our lives is, uh, what will my family member, what will my coworker, what will my friend think of me if I tell them that my life belongs to the Lord Jesus Christ. But I want to I suggest to you today, dear friends, that that's actually not the most important question. <laughs> the most important question is, what will Jesus think of me? Isn't that what Jesus is, is getting at here? Jesus it, it, it wants us to ask ourselves the question, What will happen if I do not follow him? What what will happen if if I do not embrace him as Savior and Lord? And he tells us here. He says that when he comes in glory, that if you have been ashamed of him, he will be ashamed of you. If you have lived your life rejecting him, he will reject you. If you have denied him, He will deny you. You see, Jesus is is making it clear that if you you follow him, this is one of the implications, isn't it? If you follow him, you will know the shame of the world. You will be despised by some. You will be called names, bigot. I'm not even going to list the others. Well, Jesus is also making it clear, though, that the invitation to come to Christ and follow him It will not last forever. A day is coming when Christ will return as judge. And 
the invitation, the open invitation to come to him as Savior and Lord will be no more. So dear friends, have you, have you gone to the Lord Jesus Christ? Have you, have you confessed that he is the Christ who suffered and died and rose again for me? And are you following him? And so in this passage, Jesus clearly lays down the, the terms of cross-centered discipleship. Deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow him. But let's be honest, let's be honest, these, these are terrifying words, aren't they? I mean, they're, they're frightening because at times, in fact, too many times, we haven't followed him. Too many times, far too many times, we've not lived for him, but we've lived for ourselves, haven't we? And to our own shame, too many times we have been ashamed of him. And so I want to end asking this question, what, what then are we to do? And this is what I want to end with. I want to tell us, let's begin again by trusting in Jesus' life and death and resurrection, which secured our salvation. Let's return to him in repentance, laying our lives down at his feet, remembering that Jesus is full of grace for faltering disciples. Oh, the disciples, the, 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 the apostles, what did they do? In the hour of Jesus' greatest need, they denied him. They were ashamed of him, weren't they? They fled from his presence and Jesus brought them back. Jesus restored them. Jesus recommissioned them to ministry. And so let us remember, as we think about the call to discipleship today, that we are being called to deny ourselves for a Savior who denied himself, who took up his cross, who followed his Father's will all the way to Golgotha, and we have a loving Savior who welcomes us and who is not ashamed of us. Oh, dear friends, what does the gospel say to us? It says to us that Jesus was unashamed to become sin for you. That he was unashamed to be cursed by God on the cross and that he is unashamed to call you his disciple. And so, my friends, by the, by the grace of God as individuals and as a church, let's commit ourselves today to cross-centered discipleship. Denying ourselves, taking up our crosses, and together following after him. Let's pray. <clears throat> Lord Jesus, we thank you for your grace to us. And we thank you, Lord, that you call us to come unto you and to find life. And I pray, Lord, once again, that every single one in this room would hear the call of Christ Jesus to become real Christians, to trust that Jesus Christ is our sacrifice and he is our Lord. 
We ask these things, Lord Jesus, in your name. Amen.